If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John, the epistle in the back. Not the gospel, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Excited about this week? Yeah, because you don't have to work as much, right? Unless you're cooking. What you need to do for Thanksgiving, I'll give you a couple of hints. This help. You might want to write this down. It's very deep. You need to start practicing eating. I really think that's important. You just can't show up and eat that one meal. You've got to be ready. So you need to be eating, getting prepared. Or starve yourself, one or the other. So you need to pray for my family because I'm going to pick up my aunt Wednesday, my elderly aunt who is omniscient. I'll let you look that big word up. And uh, so we're all terrified because my aunt Louise is going to be there. And uh, uh, my aunt Louise is about this tall and most one of the most intelligent human beings I have ever known, still at 95 years old, just incredibly bright, drives herself, and uh, uh, you better listen when she speaks or she'll remind you you ain't listening. Uh, I'm 61 years old, and I'm terrified of my Aunt Louise. Always have been, and she's, she's always been there for me, and uh, had we not had her growing up, I don't know what would have happened to my family, but she was always there for us and just... Uh, uh, I've said many times to her and to her friends, she lives in Henderson, Tennessee, which is an interesting town. It's owned by the Church of Christ. And my aunt is Methodist. And so all of her, and my aunt is, she is the most outspoken person I have ever known. And so all her friends, I asked her if she plays bridge, still plays bridge with, she told me that they said they're all dying off, I ain't got anybody left to play with. And, and we, uh, I was just talking to her, and her friends always say to her, when are you going to join the church? And she says, without hesitation, I am a member of the church, the Methodist church. So she's never heard me preach in person, and she really wants to do that. If she's here next Sunday, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get through it. But So, Scott, you be ready. And, and um, we were talking about last time I went to see her, and... and Bring her. She said, I really want to come to your church. And, and I said, well, Aunt Louise, you, you understand, it's not like the Methodist church you go to in Henderson, Tennessee. It's, uh, and I had on jeans and uh, like a polo shirt. And I said, this is kind of the way we dress. She goes, well, not on Sunday morning, you don't. <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am. And then she goes, you don't wear a tie when you preach or a robe or uh, I said, no, ma'am, I don't. So next Sunday, I will have a suit on. You can mark it down. I'm thinking about wearing my black robe that I do weddings in. And also, we're going to have an extra podium. If you know anything about the Methodist church, they have two podiums in their church. So we'll be adding another podium somewhere, and we'll read from that and preach from another one. So if you see me come in next Sunday with a little old lady that's about this tall, you, you just know that's God. 
Walker beside Randy. I I don't know whether she'll last through the weekend or not. I'm picking her up Wednesday, so we'll see. It. Um, I love my aunt. She's a sweet lady, but she is an interesting person to talk to, to say the least. So don't bring up politics in her midst because you're liable to get punched. All right. A couple things I want to mention to you. If if you get a chance tonight and, and you can work it out in your schedule, if you don't have something else you need to do, if you, um, we're having a town-wide worship service at 5 o'clock today. And so I was telling my class this morning, this is how you prove, we annually prove in the, in the sprawling metropolis of Arlington that there is a God. The, the worship service at Arlington High School starts at 5 o'clock. It ends at 6.30. And we end on time, and seven preachers will be speaking. And once you get seven preachers, get finished in an hour and a half, you know there is a God. What's funny is they put a clock right down here. The guy that organizes it, the, uh, Phil from Bellevue, is just incredibly organized. And so he's got a clock down here, and everybody get, gets five minutes. And the, I stepped up to the podium last year, and it's at 5, 459, 458. I looked down again. It was 220 left. I hadn't even finished my first joke. And I said, I got to get busy. I got to talk fast. You got to listen fast. So one of the guys we had, I was in my class this morning, we had a meeting about a month ago preparing and getting ready who was going to do what. And in their wisdom, they put me last this year. They figured there won't be any time left. He can't get up here and, and ramble on like I'm doing right now. So we're sitting in our meeting, and one of the guys last year went like 10 minutes. And they got videos and team testimonies, other stuff going on. It's really a sweet time for all the churches together. And one of the guys went like 10 minutes. So we're sitting in the meeting, and I looked at him, and I said, you know, man, in fairness this year, you need to go about two and a half minutes. You know, last year you went nine minutes. It's none of my business, but it cut me some, cut me short. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, that's tonight. And if you're planning on going to Christmas City, if you're born again, I know you're doing that. Um, and you'd like to go with us and ride our bus December the 11th, I need to know that. So make a note and give it to me or, or pass that information on. So we'll know. All right, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. I love this time of year. I love, uh, like tonight we're going to be talking about some attributes of our God at, at that worship service and what we're grateful for as we head into Thanksgiving. And, and I love Christmas. I, I love just, um, I, I just love to watch people, listen to people, and be around folks. And just, uh, I love to talk about, share what, what who Jesus is and what he's done. And what we're looking at here is so important and it's so vital and you see it really in many ways as Christians we become I do, become so cognizant of it this time of year so there's so much out there about Christ and, and Christmas and even Thanksgiving, thankful for our God and, and there's so much misunderstanding about who God is even in the church who is God and if you'll notice the top of this handout, we're looking at in this particular section of 1 John, loving the hate we share. And I've shared with you last week, what we're really fo focusing on here is it's important for us as Christians to understand that we are to hate what God hates. So the last couple of weeks we were talking about worldliness, and we're not going to go back and rehash that. But it's important for us to understand that mindset, that attitude of the world is more important to me than my walk with Christ. Even though I may not say that, how I live my life and what my priorities are and that, that attitude, God hates that. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world 
and yet lose his soul. Our focus, our priority has to be spiritual and then live in the world, Christ in me, living out my hope of glory. But today, and this is a passion for me, and if you've heard me speak any number of times or any time over the years, you know how important it is to me, the word truth. What we're going to look at next couple of weeks is number two there on your handout, we're going to begin today, is we are to hate as Christians false teaching. Absolutely hate it. Now, we don't hate the false teachers, although sometimes I've broken nine televisions throwing things at them over the years. That's a joke. Um, listening to what some of these clowns have to say and 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 then the subtlety of some of them also, it's uh, mind-boggling how false teaching, a little bit of leaven, Paul said to the church at Corinth, leavens the whole lump and ruins it. And leaven always in scripture represents sin and how easily false teaching can creep into the body of Christ and just begin to poison it in so many different ways. So what we're going to look at today, this idea of it's important for us as Christians to understand we hate anything that's anti-Christ, not the anti-Christ. We'll talk about that, but anything that's anti-Christ. And many times what's anti-Christ purports itself to be of Christ. Just because someone has a Bible when they're talking does not mean they're speaking truth. Just because someone has a banner behind them that says Jesus is Lord does not mean they're speaking truth. Just because they're on a network that calls itself Christian does not mean that what they're articulating is Christian. The Bible says that Satan and his minions disguise themselves as, quote, ministers of righteousness. And one of the primary things that Satan uses to keep people away from Christ is religion. Including Protestant religion, Catholic religion, any kind of religion, and it calling itself Christian. So it always comes back to what's the truth? Why? Because truth sets you free. And anything else, including religion, puts you in bondage. Many people say it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you're sincere. You think those terrorists in Paris, as they're screaming to their God, were sincere? As they blew themselves up and murdered as many others with them as they possibly could? Some of them are devoutly, were devoutly sincere. What they anticipated would happen to them after their death. Unfortunately, it's not the truth. Now they're going to stand before Jesus Christ their judge. That's why we have to hate false teaching in any form, not the false teachers, but the false teaching, because what you believe matters. What you believe determines who you are. Everybody, you've heard me say a million times, has a belief system, and it determines how you live your life. If I'm a Christian, a genuine born-again Christ follower, a fan, not a fan, but a follower of Jesus Christ. 
then I live my whole life with the mindset, what would Jesus have me do? How would Jesus have me live? How can I honor Jesus in this relationship, in this activity? Am I honoring Jesus with my money? Am I honoring Jesus with my time? Am I honoring Jesus with all that is Randy? If I'm a Christian, that's my belief system. That's my mindset. That's how I live. If I'm an atheist, that is a belief system. It is a belief system or a philosophy of life that's focused on me. I determine everything. There is no God out there to direct my life or up there or here or anywhere. That my mindset, my focus is me. What do I want? What is best? I, I, I can be altruistic. I can do good things. But the bottom line is I'm making those decisions. If I'm a Christian, Jesus Christ is living his life through me. So it's absolutely vital. If I'm a pantheist, I believe God is in everything. God is everything. God is all in all. So the reality is, again, I'm running that. Because God is everything, then I'm handling it. But if I'm a Christian, God is my Lord and Savior. He is the master, the owner of all that is me. And he gives me direction. He gives me purpose. He gives me meaning. And so I have to stand for something in Christ. I stand for truth. We stand for truth. And that's why it is so important as believers, as the church, that we don't accept doctrine that is contrary to the word of God. Now, there are certain things we will agree to disagree on. That's okay. But if it's pointed out clearly in Scripture, it's an essential of the faith, the nature of God. Peter was sharing earlier some of the attributes of God, who he is, who Jesus Christ is, who, uh, what is Scripture, what is the value of it in our lives? Is it, is it our manual for life? Is it the word of God? Is it absolute truth? Those things we don't compromise on. Other things, like my sweet aunt, for example, we can disagree on how many podiums should be in a sanctuary. By the way, next Sunday this won't be the room we have church in. What will it be? It's the sanctuary, and please don't call it anything else. It will be the sanctuary. We can disagree on which Bible you use. If you're my uh, aunt's church, you use the Revised Standard Version, which is what we will be using next Sunday. Man, there are some people out there that will tell you you're going to hell if you don't use the authorized King James Version. It's the one the Apostle Paul used. It's the one the Apostle Paul used. Well, no, it wasn't. Now, we can agree to disagree on certain things. It matters what you believe. Warren Wiersbe, tremendous theologian, put it this way. The Christian builds his life on truth, not superstition or lies. It is essential to get our thinking right about Jesus Christ. And I could not agree more. Someone walks up to you, like when I'm, I was sharing this this week with some people, we were talking about sharing your faith with, with another person, witnessing to them. And here's what I said to them. When I'm talking to somebody about where they stand with Jesus Christ, they may want to talk about the past, and that's fine, and I'll listen. But I always ask them this question. Look me in the eye, especially if it's somebody I know. Look me in the eye 
and tell me right now as we're looking at each other, who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is he to you at this moment in time? Because that's really all that matters. If you're born again, you know what he means to you. If you're not, you're not sure. Why do we hate false teaching so much? Here's the reason why. We're talking about a lot of things, but here's the bottom line for me. Because what you believe has consequences. Serious consequences. What you believe can send you to hell and will if you're not a Christ follower. It doesn't do you any good to be sincere if you're sincerely wrong. I'll give you a simple example. I spend a lot of time at Baptist Memorial Hospital and Stern Cardiovascular Unit. They paid me to say those two things. I spent a lot of time there. I was there this week. Had a long, I'm extremely claustrophobic, and I had to have an MRI on my leg this week. Well, I thought being my leg, they would not have to put me all the way in. I was wrong. And I'm telling you, the moment he put me in, I could not breathe. When he put that thing right here, I could not breathe. I'm, I'm squeezing that tube. I'm saying, you got to get me out of here. you got to get me out of here. We finally figured out I made it through. But I sincerely believed I was going to be okay. Once I get in there, what did I discover? No, man, you ain't okay. You can't breathe. You're sweating like you just got out of the shower. You're soaking wet. I couldn't breathe. Let me ask you this. If, if you are a, a, a nurse and you've read a chart wrong and you're giving the patient the medicine you think that patient sh- should have, but you made a mistake, but you sincerely gave them what you thought was right, and it killed that person. Were you sincere? Yeah, but it still has consequences, doesn't it? I, could, I am kind of directionally challenged, and Mary can attest to that. There, thank God for GPS. I can sincerely drive whatever direction that is south, think I'm going to Tipton County and just drive south, Am I going to get to Tipton County? As sincerely as I might believe that, am I going to get there? No. So being sincere is not enough. You need to place your faith and believe in what's true. The Pharisees were sincerely self-righteous and religious, and Jesus said, you are going to hell, and you're taking people with you as false teachers. Jesus said, woe to you, woe to you, Woe to you. How many of you read Matthew 23 this week? Did I tell you to read it last week? You're going to read it this week? No, you're not, but that's all right. You don't think Jesus is serious about this? Read Matthew 23. Read the Sermon on the Mount, but read Matthew 23 in particular. That's later on. And he's dealing with these religious, self-righteous bigots. And he said to them, you're blind. You look really good on the outside, but on the inside, you're a corpse. You're dead. Depart from me. I never knew you, he says later. Same book. No matter, you could may say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. It's important what you believe has consequences. Verse 18 of chapter 2. First thing I want you to notice about false teaching and why we hate it. Look at the deception of the time. Verse 18. 
John writes, little children, chapter 2, 18, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, plural, have come, by which we know that it's the last hour. What you're seeing in verses 18 through 29, as we're beginning to talk about this week, is how you recognize false teaching. How you, another term for it would be heresy. How you recognize heresy and understand how you deal with it. So the first thing he sets up is the context, historically and for us. He says, little children, reminding them again in Greek, that in your faith, you're still young and you're learning Again, I was sharing this week with someone, even at my age, and I've been doing this 32 years. Every day I want to learn something new from the Word of God. It's important to me to learn, because if not, I'm going to forget where I am. Keep my mind active to learn so that God can work through me, be a vessel that honors Him. Every moment of every day. Now, I fail. Sometimes I fail miserably, but my goal is to be that vessel that God can use, an honorable one that he can work through, that that he is working through. So he says, little children, as you learn, as you grow, understand the time is it's the last hour. Now in Greek, it should be a last hour. Here's the deal. We talked about it many times. It's a time period, not this is it, Jesus is coming back. Another place, it's called last days, plural. It's called the church age. It's the time from Jesus' first advent to his second advent. So help me, are we still in the last, a last hour? Yes, we are in the last days. We are in the church age. We've been in them since Jesus ascended. We'll be in them till he comes back. So he says, little children, this time period, this church age that you're in is important. Understand, during this time, the deception of the time that you live in, many antichrists, plural, are going to come. The antichrist will come, but many antichrists, plural. We don't use, John's the only one that uses this word in the Bible, so let's focus on it for a moment. Anti means two things. It means, number one, in lieu of or substitute Christ. And number two, it means against something. So here's what he's saying. In the time in which you live, as John wrote, and in our day today, you have to understand that in your culture, even in your midst, there will be many antichrists, those who are against Jesus and those who want to substitute something else for Jesus. Again, you even hear it in the church today. Doesn't matter what you believe, just be believe sincerely. Jesus made it clear. The Bible makes it clear. How many gods are there? One. How many mediators are there between God and men? One. The man, Christ Jesus. And, it's, and Paul intentionally, through the Holy Spirit, uses that phrase, the man, Christ Jesus. The human being, Historically, that was on earth during that time prior to the church age beginning. The man, the historical person, Jesus of Nazareth. Also the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, the unique one in the universe who could save. The man, 
who was a man, the man who was God, Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus. He is unique in history. He is unique in what he can do because he alone can save. So if someone comes along, this is one of those deals, understanding. If someone comes along, because here are the focuses of the Antichrists. It's an attitude of opposing or denying Christ as the only way a man can know God. Despite the fact that's what he said, that's what scripture teaches. And if you think about it logically, why would God have a million different ways to get to him? He has one, the man, Christ Jesus. So it's that attitude. And it's also the individuals, male and female, who embody this heresy of anti-Christ mindset. And then also it is the one individual called the Antichrist who will come. Now, our focus is on the Antichrists here because that's what he's talking about during that time, the church age that we live in. The focus, the mindset, it's important for us to understand that it's against Christ. It wants to substitute for Christ. Here's the picture John's painting for them in their church. and It's true in the church today. They're going to attack the church the institution that is to represent Jesus Christ in the world. We are his body. We are his bride. We are his, his feet by which he communicates his message, truth, which sets free. Antichrist will be in our midst and also from without will attack. And their message will be we are against Christ or we want to substitute something else for Christ Now, they may not come out overtly and say that, but subtly, do the best you can. Be sincere. Yes, believe in God, but you can't believe Jesus. That's arrogant to say Jesus alone is the only way a man can know God. No, it's truth. What does truth do? It sets you free from what the Antichrist would have you believe. Jude wrote in his book, his epistle, he's talking about false teachers. Listen to what he said. These false teachers, these antichrists, are spots in your love feasts. That would be where they would come together as the body of Christ. But today we're going to share communion. And during that time, they would be blemishes or spots in your love feasts. They feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Now notice the description of them. They are clouds without water carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the the blackness of darkness forever. That they come in your midst and they act like they're just part of you. But in reality, they are anti-Christ. Not about truth, it's about themselves. Foaming waves, clouds without water. The blackness, darkness is reserved for them forever. We've seen earlier darkness, and here's a picture of not being in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul wrote these words about these antichrists. They are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. No wonder, 
For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. One of the things that you notice over the years, if you follow false teachers, cults, how they arise, almost all of them, almost all of them began somewhere in a church. Somewhere. And then they begin to add a little aberrant theology, a little here, a little there, and then suddenly it becomes all about whoever the leader is. Or it becomes about works. It becomes about you being able to be a God. I know most of you are not old enough to remember, but I remember because it was so tragic and so painful to watch in 1979 the Jim Jones-Guyana tragedy. Jim Jones led all those people. It's like 500 of them down to Guyana. Had all the adults kill their children with poison Kool-Aid, killed them, and then drank it themselves, slaughtered all of them because he, he had become their Messiah. You know who Jim Jones was prior to that? He was a Protestant pastor in a church in L.A. And he got those people to believe that he was the Messiah. They followed him to their death. And we think, well, they were just crazy. Now, it may not be that overt and that graphic, but I'm telling you, in this city, the buckle of the Bible Belt, all over this city, there are people following someone who's teaching them something that's not the truth. It's all over our country. One of the reasons we're in the mess that we're in, we've compromised truth. The beauty of understanding this is, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Now, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, and it is. But we win. I read the back of the book. We win. Love being a Christian. You know why? I ain't worried about nothing. That's deep. When I worry, I know it's a sin. Because God said, I got it, Randy. Why do you not trust me? Trust me. So the time, very the, the deception. Verse 19. Look at the departure from the truth. Here's where it begins. Verse 19, the departure from the truth. They went out from us, these false teachers. They were in their midst. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were none of us. The they is obviously referring back in context to the many antichrists. He says they went out from us, but they were not of us. They were in the church. This particular context, they left to follow their heresy, like, again, the Jim Jones situation and and others. Look at every cult. Somehow it begins back in the 70s when I was in college. There was a big deal where the Moonies, the Unification Church, and particularly on college campuses, you would see it everywhere. And, you know, me being me, I'd, I'd go up, I'd, I would just go talk to them. I'd say, what are you doing? Why are you following this clown? <laughs> and they felt like sociologically and spiritually they were getting something they did not get from church. So they said, they love me over there. I go to church, people put me down because I got long hair back then. I got long hair, and, and today, nobody cares, which is a good thing in that sense. 
They didn't feel loved in the church. I'm not saying they weren't loved in their church. I don't know. What I do know is that the Mooney Unification Church was not going to send them to heaven, was it? Because the Unification Church was about Reverend Sun Young Moon and nothing else. Every cult is that way. They draw you in sociologically. Then they change your mind spiritually. And you begin to follow a lie. Truth sets you free. Everything else puts you in bondage. Everything else. And that's the departure. So they went out from us. They weren't of us. So if, been, if they had been genuine, they would have continued with us. But this was not good enough for them. They didn't like the way Peter sang. I don't know why they wouldn't, but they didn't. They didn't like, they got tired of Randy and his stupid old stories. He's an old coot. And they said, we'll, we'll follow this. We'll try this. I can give you example after example. Chad and I had a conversation this week about a guy. If he stood up here today, you would think, wow, that guy's cool. He's hip. That's a cat we could follow. And for a long time, he was preaching truth. Now he's decided that thing, God was not right about certain things. Like who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't. God was wrong about that. He's changed his mind. Now, now those people still follow him, though, don't they? They believe in him. That's why the Apostle Paul said he commended the Bereans because they checked him out to see if what he taught was true. Absolutely. Someone tells you, one of the primary false teachers in our country today, he says, you can't question me, I got it from God. As soon as a guy tells you, don't question me, I got it from God, you know what you need to do? You need to question him. Run from him. Because we are, you, are, you should be going to the scripture and saying, Is Rand, does Randy know what he's talking about? Because if I'm not teaching you the truth of the word of God, you don't need to listen to me. Or anyone else who's not teaching the truth. Because truth is all that matters. Departure from it. They went out and noticed that they might be made manifest or evident that they were not. Verse 20. But you, believers, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all Things. All right, good. You're omniscient. I thought that was just my Aunt Louise. You, in contrast to these antichrists, those of you that are actually in Christ, believers, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Now, let me walk you through this. Anointing means the Greek is actually you get the word Christ from. He is the anointed one. You get the word charisma from it. It means you have an anointing from the Holy One. That's the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit reside today? Since Pentecost, since the church age began, where does the Holy Spirit reside? Where does he live? In us. He dwells tabernacles in the church. So you have an anointing from the Holy One. Now, a lot of people have taken that, twisted it now, and said, again, one false teacher calls himself God's anointed. Well, every believer has that anointing. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. You have that anointing in you, unlike the Antichrist. So here's the point. Notice how he puts it in verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Bad translation in English. How many of you are omniscient? My Aunt Louise is not here, so nobody... It doesn't mean you're omniscient. Clearly, that would be stupid. And God's not stupid. The literal in Greek is you all know things, not you know all things. 
just a bad translation. You all know things. It's a southern Paul, uh, Paul, I mean, John was from the south, clearly. You all know things. So you understand it now if you put it that way. You all know things. Here's his point. The, the Antichrist standard, they tell you they got it, this is the truth, and it's Antichrist and substitute in lieu of, it's against Christ. But he's saying, but if you're born again, you've got an anointing, you've got the Holy Spirit. You know things. It, literally what it is is you all know about things. You don't know all things, but you all know things, all believers, because you have the Holy Spirit. You have the capacity to learn truth. You have the capacity to internalize and be changed by the word of God because you have the teacher residing in you, the Holy Spirit. So here's the idea there in verse 20. The Greek phrase, you know all things, as you all know, and it also means the word know there is intuitively you are able to perceive and understand truth. That's the context. Verse 21. I've not written to you because you do not know what? The truth. But because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. If you remember when we first started this series, I told you that one of the things John was doing throughout was addressing the Gnostics. That's the Greek word for no. The Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. And he's addressing them throughout, particularly he's talking about them here. Because the Gnostics' primary theology or false teaching was that Christ, Jesus could not have been God in the flesh because the Spirit would never have anything to do with the flesh. And so the Holy Spirit came on him at his baptism and then left him at the cross. And so he could not be God in the flesh. Because God had nothing to do with flesh. Flesh is evil. Is that what the Bible says? No. But that's what they taught. That's what was in the church. That was one of the primary false teaching he's dealing with. It was tearing them apart. But they also said, specifically where we are here, they also said that if that you have the capacity spiritually to get this, the Gnostics got, this special mystical revelation that they got beyond this truth in scripture. They have people preaching that very thing today. They just don't call it Gnosticism. They call it, I got a word from God just now. God told me, and literally this is what one of them had said. I heard it. I saw him with my own eyes and ears. I heard him say, God just told me that he's going to kill every homosexual in the United States this year. He said, I got it from God. And the crowd's going crazy praising God that he's going to slaughter all these people. They thought it was of God. So one year later, when that hadn't happened, anybody call that guy out as a false prophet? No, he's still rocking along today. But he said he got it from God. You can't question that, right? God doesn't give you something that is a lie. No lie is of the truth. So if, if it contradicts the word of God, what do you know? You did not get it from God. He's not a liar. He's not contrary. He is God. He, Jesus said, I am the truth. I'm not going to give you any, a lie. I'm only going to give you the truth. So if somebody says to you, Jesus is this, and it contradicts the Bible, it's not of God. It is anti-Christ. And we have to stay away from it. That's the deception. That's the departure from the truth. John 16, in his gospel, John wrote these words. 
when he, the spirit of truth, this is in the upper room discourse. He's got those 11 guys. He's preparing them for his departure. And he says these words to them. When he, the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit has come. Notice, he, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. Now, notice verse 14. It's one of the most important verses in the Bible. Or listen, John 16, 14, Jesus said these words. The Holy Spirit will glorify me, Jesus. For he, the Holy Spirit, will take of what is mine, Jesus's, and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit of truth. He will tell you all about truth, and it will be about me. So if someone says to you, Jesus is a way but not the way, you did not get that from God, and it's not the truth. The Holy Spirit's not going to tell you something that contradicts Jesus. He will only point you to Jesus. In 2 Timothy, Paul wrote these words. Man is, quote, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We learn and we learn and we learn, but when someone lays out the truth, like Jesus is the only way, so no, no, we, we can't have that. We're going to learn something else. We're going to learn, want to learn, want to learn. You just don't want to learn the truth. Because here's the deal, and we're going we're gonna to pray. Here's the deal. Because of the time we live in, these last days, people do not want to submit to God's authority. So even though you confront them with the truth, intellectually, they will reject it because morally they want nobody to control them. I will be my God. They may not use those words, but that's what they're saying. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to control my life. Nobody. I am. The problem with that is, number one, it's not true. But we're selfish. We're born in sin. We live selfishly. And that's the reason we have what we have in a culture is that we have turned our back on Jesus Christ. Now, we as the church have the opportunity to share that gospel, share that truth. So we can't depart from the truth. We've got to understand the time we live in, and we've got to stay focused on the truth. You bow your heads, please. Father, as we pause before you today again, we thank you for Jesus Christ because he is the truth. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his life. Not just the example, obviously, it's great. So much we can learn. But the fact he came as the God-man, the incarnate word of God, died in our place, paid our price, ascended, and now has sent the Holy Spirit so that in these times of antichrist, we can live truth, the Holy Spirit in us. We thank you for the privilege of doing that. Pray we be motivated to share Jesus Christ with our world because he alone can save. And Lord, as we enter into a time of communion, each of us, each individual believer, would just sit there, focus on Randy Lockley, my relationship with Jesus Christ. Each of us would focus on our relationship with Jesus Christ, his body, his blood, 
What does it mean that I've been forgiven? Am I living that way? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.